Welcome. This is Yanks and Krauts. We are coming to you from San Rafael in California, just a few miles north of San Francisco. My name is Marcus Schuler. My name is Austin. Um, Austin Baugh, if you must know. Uh, you might be curious about uh, who's referred to uh, as a Yank and a Kraut and who we and why we called this podcast Yanks and Krauts. By the way, I have to say, I resisted Krauts. I just, when I grew up with that, just being a something you just didn't call somebody. But anyway, I'm the American and I grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, the person sitting in front of me loves sauerkraut, drinks beer, eats wiener schnitzel uh, every day. Every day. That's why I refer to him as a kraut. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, the wiener schnitzel, the beer, lots of beer, tons of beer. In this podcast, we will discuss the current political developments every week. Of course, the presidential elections are approaching here in the U.S., They are just uh, 10 months away. We've prepared some topics that are not related to politics, but instead are about literature, movies, or music. Today, we'll be discussing uh, a well-known writer named Jack London, who was born in San Francisco and passed away at a young age. Marcus, you were born and raised in Germany. Can you recall your first Jack London novel? Of course. Uh, I remember Der Ruf der Wildnis, The Call of the Wild by Jack London, when I was around 12 or 13 years old. And after that, I read The, the Sea Wolf and then White Fang. Even today, I still have some of his books in my bookshelf. They are, the, I would say, the typical um, uh, children's and young adult novels that you read at night under your uh, blanket, under your comforter with a flashlight. And that are they are so exciting that you just can't stop stop and put the book down. I, I loved his books. Jack London was, uh, by the way, one of the most successful writers during his lifetime, but uh, he died tragically at the age of 40 in 1916. More on Jack London later. So, Austin, um, can we discuss the most important political issues of this week? Taylor uh, Swift, I'm so glad. I, I wrote a piece. That. I wrote a piece about Taylor Swift last night and about uh, all the hoaxes uh, that oh, they're God. spread, the lies about her. I'm. I feel really sorry. So I was trying to feed you a, a joke there. I said, you know, you said most important issues, and I said Taylor Swift, and you were supposed to say, oh, well, politics. Oh no. I, anyway, Taylor uh, Swift <laughs> went to po it's politics. <laughs> She is. I know. Let's start with this thing that I observed locally here in San Rafael when I uh, drove uh, through certain neighborhoods um, in the morning. Uh, you can frequently see these uh, migrant workers standing on the side of the road. A year ago, there were like about 10 to 20 people in the morning, and but that has changed. And um, now I can see 40 to 50 people uh, who are looking for work and hoping to earn a few dollars. You can see actually the effects of the refugee crisis more clearly. Uh, do you share that observation? I, I think I would uh, qualify it a little bit, um, having lived here uh, most of my life. I think that number's gone up and down, and it often does go up or down, you know, relating to, um, you know, uh, events in Central or South America. Uh, and for a while, and, and I don't know when you began observing this, but uh, COVID, you know, during the COVID uh, lockdowns, mm -hmm. there were fewer people looking for work on the street. Now, when I first saw this, I thought maybe, uh, maybe they just saw you coming and, and like, you know, step back to, to like hide in the shadows as you drove by for some reason. But 
but yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, I think the number was down for the last few years and it seems to be going back up now. Um, but I would say that's a, a long-term, uh, wave a long-term phenomenon this week it has become apparent that most republicans want to ditch a compromise that was carefully negotiated in the senate to address um the issues at the southern border of the u.s this decision was made at the request of donald trump uh, and uh, to be honest i was left speechless particularly since republicans had been demanding swift action to address the problem Uh, in recent months, you know, my uh, take on this this morning, uh, it's in the news that Republicans and they've been pushing for this, uh, more subtly at first. And, and now they're being a little more explicit that they think he should just take executive action. He should just do one of those executive orders. Like, you know, uh, the that way Biden sh should, that Biden should, Biden should just do something. And I think that's because they're afraid to put their name on anything. And one of the things, you know, we know about executive orders um, you know, a lot of Trump's executive orders, you know, the president leaves office and his executive or orders can then just be immediately reversed or, mm -hmm. or ignored. So, um, I think there's a, a, a fear to commit and actually pass legislation. Uh, you know, Republicans, um, they want something to happen. They want to push somebody else into doing it. They don't want their name on it. At least that's the way I'm reading it. I was shocked because it was clear that there was a solution on the table that both sides would agree. I mean, this is a topic that both parties have been dealing with for literally the past 10 years. The, the, the conversation and the negotiating uh, negotiations about what to do at the border that kind of started in, in 2013 it's been seems to me like it's been going on you know my whole lifetime one of the main functions of government uh is to hash out work out make deals compromise figure out within the political realm what the country's policy will be toward immigrants um especially countries that are destinations um i think we're seeing this everywhere right uh if people want to come to the country uh You know, everybody kind of ignores it for the first few months. And then when it starts, the numbers start getting big, you know, you, you see all kinds of forces come up, uh, you know, racial animus, people worry about jobs, people worry about culture. Um, so yeah, no, as far as I can tell this, this is, uh, it's not a new thing. It's the job of government. These people who are elected, they've got maybe four or five things that should be high priorities. Uh, the defense of the people, the health and well-being of the people. And I think immigration is up there among the top things that these people get paid to do. And they're hard. That's why we elect people to deal with them. And what I'm hearing a lot, it seems, particularly from Republicans, is you know they don't want to get in there and, and do the work and make the compromises um, because – If they get it wrong, they will lose their jobs. But that seems to be the job. Do you think that will be the big topic for the campaign of uh, both candidates? It uh, could be. Like I said, I do think it's one of the big jobs uh, that we expect from government is, is um, you know, what defines the country, what defines our borders. Um, so, yes, I, I think it will be. I, you know, there is a, a risk that the Republicans are going to set themselves up for being accused of 
not doing anything and not being willing to to do anything through the legislative uh, arm of government, you know, they'd much rather put it off on an individual so that if it goes wrong, they can just blame one person, preferably somebody not from their party. Um, and, you know, Democrats will try to figure out a way to blame it on the Republicans and, you know, <laughs> so yeah, I think we're, I think that's going to be a topic. And Austin, I've noticed that in recent days, President Joe Biden has become more assertive, uh, more uh, combative in his approach. Uh, listen to that soundbite. We now have, in large part because of you and organized labor, the strongest economy in the whole damn world. We do. We do. In the whole world. Inflation's coming down. Jobs are growing. We created... 800,000 manufacturing jobs. And then let's compare uh, the, the whole thing to Donald Trump. Uh, they are, there are uh, concerns, Austin, that he may be experiencing mental decline as he has made some confusing statements in the past few weeks, such as uh, mistaking Nikki Haley for Nancy Pelosi and referring to Barack Obama as the current uh, U.S. president. What's your take on this, Austin? He appears to be, uh, well, slipping, you know, how far back uh, did people start noticing that something was off? Um, he also has been obsessed with how well he's done with uh, with his uh, mental, his cognitive, um, you know, uh, uh, exam. Uh, he's claiming to have done a second one, uh, which I haven't really seen verification of that. But what's interesting to me about this is, just the tenacity at which some in the media um, and some of Trump's defenders and uh, the head of the Republican Party are trying to play this off as if nothing happened. They're essentially saying, well, you know, uh, we all we know it's all the same policies, Obama, Biden, you know, there's really no difference. You could argue that. that's That's a separate issue. The immediate issue that, you know, it's the red herring argument. They're trying to lead people away from the, uh, the, the actual scene. The initial issue, the initial thing we're seeing is Trump making this extended, you know, mistake, for instance, with the, uh, the thing about um, Haley, you know, where he just goes on and on and on about, in his mind, thinking that she was responsible for Capitol Hill security because she was the Speaker of the House. So in other words, it's not really being answered or or dealt with. And there's this, uh, I think, desire to just kind of, you know, don't look, you know, don't look behind the curtain, just keep moving. Uh, nothing to see here, folks. Then when we look at, at Joe Biden, I noticed that he is getting more aggressive and uh, Joe Biden woke up. One of those skinny old guys that's starting to show some old man strength. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like he could probably all of a his, sudden, all yeah. of a sudden, how come? He could probably beat like a teenager in an arm wrestling match or something. Yeah, yeah he's kind of got that that uh, that old man. Spider spirit. That spirit going on. We can't ignore the fact that these are both two really old guys. So I, I think for various reasons, both parties want to, try to downplay the fact that you might be voting for their running mate when you vote for them. Um, Biden to me, given, you know, his general health and his level of activity, um, I, I suspect he's going to do, he's going to hang in there pretty well. 
Trump's parents lived uh, well into what their eighties or nineties. They, they got pretty old, but I'm pretty sure his mother had Alzheimer's and, which, by the way, I think most of us end up getting Alzheimer's if we live long enough, uh, or many of us. But yeah, it, it's kind of a weird conversation to be having because um, I think everybody would love it if uh, a really dynamic, brilliant, uh, you know, charismatic fifty-year-old uh, was able to like uh, step up and command the attention of the nation. It's very strange to me that. Our country is is uh, not capable of bringing up some yeah. somebody younger. Yeah, that we're so enamored uh, by these guys, um, or by one of them. Uh, I doubt anybody is enamored by both of them. Um, yes, it's very very strange. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So so Biden, I I think you know we heard this before. You know, he was always kind of this guy. Uh, he got a lot of grief for whispering, uh, to, to Trump when he passed, I believe it was the, uh, the, uh, medical, uh, you know, Obamacare, um, the affordable care act, you know, he said to him or something with a hot mic nearby, uh, this is a big fucking deal and people went nuts, but I think that's, that's who this guy has been all along. Um, I'd be surprised if you found somebody from his past that said they never heard him swear before. I think it's just coming out now. Someone figured out that it's it's good. Let Biden be Biden. Do you think that's that's just part of the strategy now that they they changed that they want to show a president who's more um, aggressive and and who shows more kind of fighter skills? I think okay. Most men of our age or older, uh, you know, these guys have been through a lot. You know, we we swear, but you know, we turn it off for certain public events. I certainly as a teacher tried not to swear as much as i could or do um but isn't that very isn't, isn't that hypocritical uh well there are certain we used to have this idea uh, that there were there were formal environments and that it wasn't necessarily hypocrisy uh if you respected the norms of the formal environment you know when you had dinner guests over you you didn't swear but you know if you're out with the guys it's not a formal environment You're out playing ball, you're in the locker room or whatever, you say what you want, you get it out. Sailors, I mean, we were famous for swearing. Yeah, so I think politicians in the past used to hide that, and maybe it's hypocrisy. Well, certainly it's called hypocrisy. That's one of the ways that that people diminish a person's effort to be more respectful of the public uh, sphere, the public forum. And I think what's happening after Trump is that, you know, this guy is pure id. He says, the people say they like him because he says what's on his mind. I wish they'd actually pay attention to what he says because it rarely means anything. But but every utterance, every idea, you know, he says it all. And I and, and it's, it's seen as authentic. So I think people around Biden, I don't think they're asking him to put on an act. I think they're, they're just not going to rein him in. They're saying, look, hey, if you want to, You want to drop the F-bomb, go ahead, go for it. People seem to respect that. We we do, I think, as human beings, like the appearance of strength. We like certainty. We like strength. So if you say, I am fucking sure that this is the way it is, is more attractive to people than saying, well, maybe we should do some research on this and figure out what the best response is. Go, you know, no. And that was part of the success of Donald Trump. Yeah, absolutely. 
past uh, few years. Just that, you know, his never backing down, mm. you know, it's this appearance of certainty, this appearance of strength. Um, Although you know, we know that he's really a very dumb p person. He's not very uh, educated. He just throws out stuff and even if it's dead wrong, he insists that he's right. I mean, remember the Sharpies and yeah, uh, yeah. The, I think it was a hurricane, <laughs> hurricane. or something. Oh, the hurricane. Man, yeah. unbelievable. Oh, But Austin, a few weeks ago, I would have said that the presidential race uh, would be close if it came down to a duel between uh, Biden and Trump. But I've slowly, I'm not sure yet. I mean, a lot can change within the next 10 months. But I'm beginning to believe that that there is a slight change towards Biden given the legal uh, proceedings against Trump and then uh, his mental decline. Many Republican voters are also likely to become more sp uh, skeptical because, because of that. How do, you, how, how do you see that? Given my limited expertise on this, I think uh, Trump's going to lose uh, you know, the, those marginal voters. Uh, our elections come down to, you know, they say independence and, and the people on the fence, uh, some of his lukewarm supporters may refuse to turn out. Um, you know, they talk about his base, 35% or so being very, um, consistent and hardcore. Do you think that's the reason why the Republicans started to talk about Taylor Swift and her boyfriend just in order to kind of activate some voters uh, that would listen to Taylor Swift and everything about an NFL star just to activate them. And, and then they realized, oops, we went too far. Maybe, um, maybe, I guess, I guess there's still uh, the second act to come with the Taylor Swift thing is what's going to happen at the Super Bowl or after the Super Bowl. And if she um, really in the halftime, if she really uh, supports Biden publicly yeah. like she did in 2020. There's an endorsement. Yeah. On the other hand, who cares? I, I mean, celebrities have always endorsed. Well, you know, Some many celebrities have endorsed. For John Foyt, for example. Trump. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, you want Beyonce and Taylor Swift if you're looking for an endorsement. Um Those are probably the two biggest celebrities right now. Because you reach younger people and you might reach voters that you would normally reach. Correct, correct. And Taylor Swift has is in that position of being, uh, you know, she looks like middle America. She's kind of, um, you know, America's sweetheart, they say. And she's dating a football player. Ironically, I'll point out that, that as a couple, they basically form all the uh, couples that she's saying about uh, being problematic in high school. You know, the cheerleaders and the football players, uh, you know, that was the in crowd and many of her characters and her songs were not part of that group. But, you know, that's all America right there. And she's very popular amongst many generations, not only young people or, you know. And I think their parents are uh, appreciative of the fact that um, if their daughters are listening to Taylor Swift, that they don't have to worry too much about the effect. Um, yeah, so she is a factor. I think so. But we, uh, I think she's a factor in American culture. Will it translate? No, a factor in the upcoming yeah, election. Yeah, I'm saying yes to the culture. Will it translate into the election? Might be. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, 
I think the Republicans are trying to inoculate against it by finding, you know, early points of criticism. But, you know, any any party, you know, the independents would be thrilled if uh, Taylor Swift, uh, you know, the Green Party would be thrilled. Anybody would be thrilled if Taylor Swift came out um, for them. And, and I think there's a, an effort to sort of downplay the impact that she might have. But, you know, it's going to be there. And, you know, she's not going to sway that hardcore base, Trump base, and, you know, the hardcore Democrats, uh, people on the left, they, they don't care what she does. But, eh, she might move the little, you know, a little bit in the middle. You know, I think that the real issue is just the character of these two men. I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. I mean, we, we already know that, you know, the Democrats are going to work hard to get, you know, endorsements from uh, as many mainstream people as possible. The, the left endorsements obviously are easy. We know the Republicans are going to try. We're going to hear from, you know, some country music people, you know, people they perceive to be reflective of their voters. I mean, so. Donald Trump has Kid Rock. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to laugh about Kid Rock. Okay, okay. I, I I'm, actually, not, I'm not laughing about you're looking Kid Rock. At a, a, I mean, he's a, a decent a, rock star. I, I'm a closet Kid Rock fan over here. I'm going to tell you my, my, my favorite Kid Rock story, though. Please. Short, but make I'm, it short. I'm going to probably screw it okay. up, but yeah. Uh, Kid Rock and uh, Jennifer Lopez went to a USO. Uh, they went on a USO tour. To go, That's a true story, right? True story. Okay. To go uh, entertain um, soldiers. Soldiers. And, you know, they did video of it. And they arrive, I think they might have been in Germany, um, <laughs> somehow related to supporting Iraq. Maybe, maybe there was. Maybe Rumstein, then they went to Rumstein. Yeah, there might have been an Iraq leg of this whole thing. Yeah, but, yeah. but I think this event took place in Germany. But regardless of where it took place, you know the uh, the plane lands, the helicopter lands, whatever, however they they came in, and you know they're greeted. But they have a group of soldiers out there to greet them and and uh, to to set them up. And and the short version is Jennifer Lopez. They're like, we can show you to a room, and you know what do you need? And she said, well, I'd like to 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 rest. It was a very long flight. I'd like to you know take a shower and rest. And and uh, essentially, she was saying, you know, I want to be left alone until the show. Kid Rock said something, you know, comes off the plane or whatever. And the first thing he says is, do you guys have like big guns? And the soldiers are like, yeah. And they're like, and his thing is, can I shoot them? And they're like, yeah. And so they go out to the, the, the range and he's like shooting machine guns. And then he goes to the pizza parlor on the base and he's like open mic. He's singing with the soldiers. And I have to say, you know, there's something great and very American about that. And and I've always given him credit for, you know, he really gave those soldiers, you know, a, a day that they'll never forget, you know, shooting with Kid Rock. We, we know he's kind of a gun nut and he likes to shoot beer beer cans. <laughs> I was I was just looking at, but, but that's at current, current pictures of Kid Rock. I remember, I mean, he is almost the same age. He's 53, I'm 52. And but man, he got so much older, and you could see the rock star in his face already. Yeah, well, it's a tough life, man. But he is—he um, just recently said that he's done boycotting uh, Bud Light. It turned out he liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out he couldn't live without his Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> or he realized it's just a dumb thing to be upset about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's decent, but it's not my favorite. Well, beer. a big part, I think, of middle America, you know, drink. I I went through my Bud fan. You know, it's what you drink if you're on an army base. 
you're on a military base, it's if you're in a military ba- base in my home country in Germany, you would have some good, decent German beer. <laughs> it's because you're in Germany. I can tell you. It's because you're in Germany. But that, that, no, 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 no. It does. It tastes much better. It's <laughs> it's you know, brewed with uh, 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 without any chemicals, without any additives. Yeah, it's like the pure thing. So, but and Coors, you remember Coors? Yeah, of course. So Coors, uh, these beers uh, and those two companies it's the in same particular, brewery, I think. Oh, it might be. It might be now, yeah. especially. But um, they became popular because they were the one. Uh, Coors was the beer that had figured out the process of pasteurizing their beer so it could be shipped at room temperature to Vietnam. And soldiers were getting Coors everywhere in Vietnam, uh, often for free, because it was the only beer that could stand up to the, the heat. heat and the shipping, which you know took might take weeks to get, you know, cases of. So a lot of I remember, I remember when I was a kid, all, all these these young men, you know, these twenty year olds coming out of Vietnam, you know, on leave. Um, my family had some connection with that generation. But all these guys were, they were all drinking Coors and, and it was like, you know, it spread throughout the country. And I think Bud might've been the second one to really hit that market. Uh, but, but you're right. It's, it's, it's not, you know, all those other beers you're talking about, you know, if you drink German beer, man, you're a coastal elite. I mean, uh, to be honest, <laughs> I'm not a big beer drinker, but if I buy a beer or if I have to buy beer for a party or something, then I would get some some beer from a local brewery, like in in Berkeley. What's the name of that awesome beer that they brew? And and it's it's famous. You can get it here in every supermarket in, in Northern California. Is it is it in Berkeley? Or are you talking about the Pliny's? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beer from Berkeley. Yeah, I know. Smaller I know of Lagunitas. The Lagunitas brewery is up it's, there in oh, Petaluma. Shoot. Yeah, but I mean, but I know what you're saying you do, you look so, for a local brewery. Yeah, and and the beer of local breweries here in the u.s has become so good it is amazing yeah lots of competition a lot of people out there sharing information with each other and and competing with each other but austin let's talk about a native son of this area of uh, marin county where we are uh, where we live jack london was called uh, john griffith Janey when he was born on january 12th 1876 that's uh, 148 years ago he later called himself jack london and he was an extraordinary writer he became an international celebrity during his lifetime he was a uh, socialist and an atheist and uh, he campaigned for animal rights a very kind of uh, progressive kind of person when you think back during that time so I didn't know about the animal rights uh, stuff, although it kind of makes sense when you think of the, you know, the the, the, the stories he wrote about uh, people having relationships with dogs. He bought a farm in Sonoma County, and uh, yes. but he was not a very successful and, farmer because they said he didn't pay much attention to to detail, and his workers were uh, laughing at him all the time. <laughs> Well, I think he was also, I, my memory is, so it's the Valley of the Moon area. I think you're talking about, you're talking about the, the ranch land and the yeah, Valley yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Moon. I, I think that's it. But so, um, it's wine growing country and he has a beautiful estate up there. It's a park. You can visit that area. He built an amazing house that burned down before he moved in. in Glen Allen. Glen Allen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Burned down before Just he. Just two weeks before they moved in. Before they moved in. And I think With also, his second wife. 
Yeah. And I think also for part of that time, he was traveling the Pacific, maybe. I know he They were was, traveling the Pacific. Yeah. They went to Hawaii a couple of times. They went even to Australia. They were, he was an avid traveler. He, he had a, a, uh, they went to Alaska, a, a very seaworthy yacht called the, uh, the snark. I think it was called uh. the snark. There is actually a uh, Jack London Yacht Club in Sonoma, even though they have no ocean. It's kind of funny. It's a yacht club. They call it a yacht club on paper, but it's the Jack London Yacht Club, and they race models, to, you know, like toy boats, essentially models of the snark down the river, down the creek, every year to raise money for animal rights, among other things. Where, where's that yacht club? In, in Napa? Or? Uh, yeah, it's in Glen Ellen. Uh, oh. uh, if I remember correctly, it's a small town. It's a major, it's in a saloon. <laughs> it's in a bar. It's a perfect location. And Jack London grew up in, in Oakland. He went to high school in Oakland. Yes. Yeah. So I like you, my memory of Jack London, I, you know, I taught Call of the Wild and maybe White Fang. I have a vague memory. I think I might have taught White Fang. This is back in Los Angeles when I first started teaching uh, 30 35 years ago. Do you um, still read it in, in, in uh, school, in high school? In no. Fifth you know, or sixth grade? Or? Jack London, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, kind of mm -hmm. falling out of favor. Um, you know, a lot of progressives, they, they, you know, identify that as were many people at the time period, uh, white people in the 1800s were, you know, supremacists uh, or, you know, racists of some degree. Um, he definitely was. I mean, to be honest, he was yeah. kind of, you know. And and he wrote some really interesting things about culture and race on the Bay Area. I think I shared with you at one point a collection of short stories called Tales of the Fish Patrol. Mm -hmm. And he's very aware of these communities having racial identities. And But he's also, I think, he's accused of being guilty of stereotyping and, and uh, you know, prejudging uh You know, there's like the Chinese fishermen and how do they behave and the Greeks and the Italians. And we look at somebody and we say, oh, they had this uh, point of view or this idea. And, and we, 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 we oversimplify the complexity of character. So on the one hand, you could say, and I don't know, I don't know the history of this. I think you know more about this than I do that, you know, he was raised by a black woman. And, and on the one hand, you could say, well, you know, so he saw a black woman as being uh, very maternal and mother-like to him and maybe he loved her other point of view might be oh well maybe he came to see black women as like nannies you know um i don't know i know that he did have those kind of prevailing white views of the world you know eight in the late 1800s early 1900s uh, kind of colonial or empirical worldview but yeah so many of his stories seem neutral to me. I mean, you know, uh, they're about people and the environment. Uh, you know, I see the conflict in, in many of his stories, you know, or the, you know, the human being against nature, you know, the human versus nature, uh, uh conflict. I, I will tell you though, we're talking about the Bay area. So, um, one of my, what I think one of the great novels of the time and you could parse the politics of it, but it's just, it's called Martin Eden. Martin Eden. Oh, that's the uh, autobiographic kind of novel that he wrote, right? Uh, autobiographical, uh, yeah. The carry, you know, it, it very. He drew a lot from his life, and it was about a young writer in the Bay Area, in Oakland, um, 
and his effort to educate himself. The Martin Eden is a self-educated character in a world the, where the, people... The real Czech London tried to study at um, Berkeley University, but uh, left university after he contacted his, or he thought of, of the guy that he contacted, that he was his real father. And he wrote back to him and told him, no, 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 I'm not your father. Your mother during that time was basically sleeping around. And that made him so angry that he left university, right? Uh, no, actually, again, uh, I think you know more about Jack London than I do. I just you read You well-educated German guy? No, 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 no. I just read his biography. I no. mean, some, some. Well, you know, uh, but, but you're saying it's interesting because um, that is the character Martin Eden. Um, uh, I don't want to give away the story too much, but uh, he falls in love with a, a college-educated woman from a wealthy Uh, family in the Oakland Berkeley area and she's a Berkeley student and he has to make something of himself because the character is like a dock hand. He's like a dock worker, a longshoreman and he has to make something of himself in order to see this woman. And, um, and you know, it's a, it's, this, it's a story about someone trying to better themselves, still not being ex accepted by, um, by the upper class. And again, I'm trying not to give away too much of the story. The details around the Bay area are, are fun and fascinating. You know, he talks about the ferry boat needing enough tokens to ride the ferry boat back and forth. And he walks all over. He works at a, a spa resort at the Claremont hotel in Oakland, which is still one of the fanciest, fanciest uh, hotels in the Bay area. And he works, you know, he, um, You know, he irons the shirts and the collars for the people, and it's just horrendous work conditions. Um, so again, I'm trying not to give away too much of the story. I do recommend Martin Eden. It is one of oh, the well, great stories. It's full of contemporary um, philosophical thinking. He talks about reading Spencer and which philosophers he agreed with, didn't agree with. And I don't think you need to, to have a background in any of that stuff to appreciate the story. You certainly nowadays could, you know, look all of it up real fast on Google. But yeah, it's sort of a contemporary snapshot of the thinking and of the look of the Bay Area, as well as uh, as a story that tells us a bit about his life. When you were a kid, did you read his books? I was, and I would say maybe even today, I'm not the greatest reader because I'm slow. I've uh, always had bad eyesight. Uh, I think I've had trouble reading that was undiagnosed when I was young, but I learned to be a fairly good reader. Um, it's kind of a painful process. A good about theme. I'm pretty good at like deriving theme from a story. Um, so I, I think I tried to read his books, uh, white Fang and, uh, call of the wild. As you said, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I really read those fully or carefully until I was teaching. Some, somewhere, I think I took a course where Jack London might have been a, a figure. That was Yanks and Krauts, our first episode. Thank you so much for your time, Austin. It was, uh, as always, uh, a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we can uh, continue our conversation soon. Yeah, I hope we get to do it again.